your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets. That they may have glory from men, assuredly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your charitable deed may be in secret, that your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank and praise you for the power of your word. We praise you, Lord God, that your word is milk and meat for our soul. It is our spiritual food. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. We thank you, Lord God, that your word is like a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces, that it is like a fire that burns within our hearts. We pray, Lord God, that you may mercifully work in us through your precious and holy infallible word, that which is your good and perfect pleasure. Deepen our faith. Widen our vision. Speak to us, Lord God. Show us what you want us to do and what you want us to be in this very next week. We praise you, Lord God, for the power of your word, that your word never returns void. It is sweeter than honey. It is more precious than gold or silver. We praise you, Lord God, for the privilege we have of being your sons and daughters, your servants and soldiers, that we can be part of your church, part of your army, part of your great work on earth. We praise you, Lord God, for the tremendous privilege we have of worshiping you, uniting with the church militant on earth and the church triumphant in heaven, one body through all the ages. We praise you, Lord God, for this magnificent privilege that we can even be united with the persecuted churches who are suffering even as we gather now. But we worship you. And you are the risen, ascended Lord who is coming again to judge the living and the dead. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and a conqueror. We praise you, Lord God, for the wonderful privilege that we have. Speak to us now, we pray, for you ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I could never be a Christian. Look at all the hypocrites in the church. Have you ever heard that kind of response? Have you ever had people saying to you, look at all the scandals of the tele-evangelists, all the health and wealth, name it and claim it and frame it, gab it and grab it, health, wealth and prosperity crowd. Look at all these two-faced frauds, con men, hypocrites, fraudsters, I don't want to be part of hypocrisy, so I cannot be a Christian. 
and I cannot have anything to do with the church. Well, it may surprise many of those who say that to know that God is far more offended by hypocrisy than all of us combined. None of us could possibly be as offended by hypocrisy as God Almighty himself. In fact, the scriptures record the greatest condemnations of hypocrisy ever. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 wrote about false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will also be according to their works. So the Apostle Paul is warning us there will be false apostles. There will be deceitful workers. We should not be surprised by that. We shouldn't be that shocked at the unbelievable treachery, treason, heresy, and scandals that are coming from pulpits and TV screens all over the world. The Apostle Paul also wrote in Galatians 2 verse 4 of false brethren secretly brought in to the very fellowship and congregation of the faithful. False brethren secretly brought in. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2 verse 1 spoke of the need for each one of us to set aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Hypocrisy is right there in the middle of malice, deceit, envy, and evil speaking. It's obviously a danger. It's a threat. It's a problem. This isn't just something that we can point a finger to on the televangelist screen and the stages of the mega churches. There's a danger of hypocrisy in our own congregations and in our own hearts, obviously. We are warned about this. The writer of the book of Hebrews exhorts us to draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. It's a wonderful privilege to celebrate the Lord's Supper in such a meaningful way and take part in such scriptural worship as we have done this day. No one has any excuse for doing otherwise when the scriptures are so thoroughly saturating the liturgy and the worship of the church. And yet... Hypocrisy abounds, and often we are grieved by hypocrisy that we find within our own souls. Our Lord Jesus Christ exposed and condemned hypocrisy most famously in the Sermon on the Mount, and we read part of that at the beginning of the service. Take heed not to do your charitable deeds in such a way as to be seen. Have you known, have you noticed how the world makes their contributions? A big check. Handed over with lots of lights and cameras and flashing. This is the way the world makes their contributions. Of course, the Christian church is involved on a daily basis, picking up people out of the gutter, helping people in the worst of situations, picking up the casualties of this wicked and self-centered materialistic society with no cameras and no recording at all. That's the way the Lord wants it. He doesn't want us to be giving our gifts the way the world does. When a Hollywood film star, a politician does something right in the full blare of the cameras, we know there's some of those who will go to some of the refugee camps or they might go to Angola because the landmine problem will be pictured in Darfur 
handing over some relief aid, but it's just for the cameras. It's not that they're doing that on a normal basis. It's an extremely rare exception. But our Lord Jesus warns us about how we pray as well. It's pretty hypocritical if we only pray in church and in front of others and we never pray on our own in secret. Then what kind of relationship do we have? Is it just for show? And then we go on to verse 16 and 18, Matthew 6, verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. They go out looking absolutely miserable. It's not a joy at all. It's an affliction. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you may appear to men not to be fasting, <laughs> but to your Father who is in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The Lord does not like us doing our religious duties only to be seen. He sees in secret. It's an act of faith to do things that you know only the Lord can see. Only the Lord knows about that sacrifice, that inconvenience, that grace exhibited, that forgiveness, this work done, that intercessory burden, that time you woken up in the middle of the night and you were interceding for people on the other side of the world. The Lord sees. It doesn't have to be seen by men. In Matthew 7, the Lord continues in the Sermon on the Mount, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Do you know how many specks there are on a single plank? I asked someone involved in lumber, and he said tens of thousands. Could we be that disproportionately hypocritical in God's eyes when we are so concerned to get a speck out of someone else's eye while we've got a log in ours? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck out of your eye? And look, there's a plank in yours. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly enough to remove the speck in your brother's eye. Nobody condemned hypocrisy more eloquently, more wholeheartedly, more harshly than our Lord Jesus Christ. No one has been more offended by hypocrisy than Jesus Christ. Matthew 23 is relentless. As the Lord gives the most devastating condemnation of hypocrisy, aiming squarely at the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of the people of Israel. All their works they do to be seen by men. Woe to you, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow in others who are entering. Hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses. Hypocrites, you make him twice as much the son of hell as you yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, fools and blind, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel, full of dead men's bones, extortion and self-indulgence. Woe to you, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear outwardly beautiful, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness and corruption. 
Even so, you outwardly appear righteous to men. But inside, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? All of those are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we've got a hymn that speaks about gentle Jesus, meek and mild. I don't think that hymn writer really had read the Bible very well. Our Lord might have been meek, but he was never weak and he was never mild. Our Lord's sermons cut. They're a hammer that broke the rocks in pieces. They were fire that burned in men's hearts. No one spoke like our Lord Jesus. The disciples on the road to Mesa did not our hearts burn within us as he opened the scriptures. God clearly demands honesty and sincerity. Our yes must be yes. Our no must be no. Capital letters, exclamation mark. Hypocrisy is consistently condemned throughout Scripture. There is no religion on earth that condemns hypocrisy like Christianity. There is no religious leader in history who has condemned hypocrisy as clearly, as eloquently, as dogmatically as our Lord Jesus Christ. No one is more offended by hypocrisy than Jesus Christ. Can you imagine a sermon such as Matthew 23 being preached in one of these church synods, conferences, assemblies, theological cemeteries? Could you imagine, for example, if a minister was called to pray a prayer of blessing on the new president at a presidential inauguration and he spoke in the terms that the Lord Jesus spoke in Matthew 23, that would be more appropriate. This God bless this pro-abortion, pro-homosexual, apostate abomination. How can we pray for God's blessings on some of these rebels and traitors against God? As John Knox said, we owe allegiance to the king and the king owes allegiance to the king of kings. And if the king is a rebel against the king of kings, we must not be partakers in his rebellion. We have a higher allegiance to the Lord of lords, the creator, the eternal judge, the conqueror. And if our rulers are in rebellion to Almighty God, may we not be part of their rebellion, or we will share in their judgment and their condemnation. Now, there are, of course, hypocrites in the medical profession. There are charlatans in the medical profession who violate their Hippocratic oath to not give any abortifacent to a patient who's pregnant, to not harm any patient. How many doctors are hired hands, hired killers, who are killing innocent babies? How many millions of innocent babies have been killed worldwide through abortion? You all know the American statistic, one and a half million a year. But do you know that there's over seven million a year killed in Russia through abortion? There's about 50 million babies killed a year in China. Europe is huge as well. America is not the worst offender when it comes to abortion. But of course, America's got a much larger Christian population, percentage of the population, and that makes the crime more offensive in the sense that to whom much is given, much is required. And we teachers will be judged with greater strictness. But how many tens of thousands of doctors are violating their solemn medical ethics by harming their patients instead of healing them. 
Do you know how many doctors are involved in euthanasia? In Holland, they had in one year 7,000 people euthanized by state doctors without the request of either the patient or a relative of the patient. 7,000 old and sick and infirm people put to death judicially by a doctor who didn't even have a mandate from the patient or the patient's family. He's a hired hand of the government because the medical profession in Holland are state paid. That's just Holland. These are people who swore to protect the lives and health of their patients and they just put them to death. That's official. There are so many hypocrites in the medical profession. We've just gone through kidney transplant, so we're a bit more alert to that sort of thing. Do you know how many people can fly to China and get a kidney transplant from an unwilling donor? They just go into the concentration camps and probably whip it out of some Christian. They don't bother to sew them up afterwards. There are so many organs that you can get. People fly to China and they can get anything. Whatever you want, they will just go and they'll find the person with the organ you need and you pay the money and there's harvesting of organs and there are medical doctors doing it. These people are medical prostitutes. They are hypocrites of the highest order. We know that there are enormous amounts of charlatans, crooks, criminals and hypocrites in the medical profession. In fact, more people die from doctors' mistakes every year than die from firearms. We had a case a while ago in South Africa where We've got a group called Gun-Free South Africa that's trying to have a gun-free situation and we regularly like to go to the meetings. And this one Gun-Free South Africa meeting, uh, they were talking about all these um, wonderful plans they've got that if you have a gun-free society, it'll be all peaceful. And they said, can you think of any country in the world that has implemented these principles that we are mandating here? And uh, I said, yes, I've been in Rwanda. Rwanda was a gun-free zone before the genocide. No, 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 we don't want that. And someone else said, yes, the Soviet Union. And uh, there was a whole lot of examples that were raised, Ethiopia, Cuba, and uh, they shut down question and answer time. <laughs> Criminals prefer unarmed victims. Tyrants prefer disarmed populations. But I was in a debate with Gunfree South Africa, and they brought out a doctor, a doctor van us. And he said he is sick and tired of having to deal with children who are the victims of gunshot wounds. And he worked at Red Cross Hospital. Now, we've been regular customers at Red Cross Hospital uh, for the last 15 years because our Christopher has been one of their kidney patients and just had his kidney transplant there. So we've been in and out there. I sometimes have been at the Red Cross Hospital five times in a single day. So we know the people there. And I went to find the statistics. How many children did you treat at Red Cross Children's Hospital last year for gunshot wounds? Well, it was a miserably small amount. It was something in the region of 50. How many of those were criminals? All of them. They were all criminals. They were 16, 17, 18-year-old children who were being shot by the police in self-defense while they were trying to shoot the police or shot by other gang members, not one of them was an accidental victim. They were all criminals. So, ha, uh, and by the way, we found out it was the smallest category of anything, gunshot wounds. Vastly more children were being treated for everything from falls, um, sharp instruments, knives, 
bludgeon instruments, uh, bicycle accidents, drownings. Drownings in buckets of water exceeded gunshot wounds. But the gunshot wounds were all of criminals, the entire lot. So next time I had a debate with this, Dr. Vanessa was able to bring up this and say, how many of these children that you had to deal with were actually criminals or members of gangs? And he said, well, actually all of them. Which sort of proved our point. There are medical hypocrites. I was doing a picket outside an abortionist in our neighborhood. This woman was doing abortions in our suburb illegally, even according to the extremely pro-abortion legislation in South Africa from her home. She's operating an abortion facility. It wasn't a proper facility. It didn't have all the resuscitation equipment, other things necessitated. Therefore, it was illegal even in terms of the ANC's Termination of Pregnancy Act. We picketed and she pulled up in a car and she was furious. She says, why are you here? How can you do this? You're embarrassing me in front of my neighbors. And I said, you're killing babies. And she says, no, I'm not killing babies. The mothers are. And I said, you're telling me that you take money from mothers to kill their babies. And she says, yes, I'm providing a service. And I challenged her saying, you're afraid of what your neighbors think, but are you not afraid of God? Do you believe in God? And she said, yes, I believe in God. I said, what do you think he's going to say on Day of Judgment? She says, I'm just doing my job. It's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it. I said, I was a fireman. I've been a soldier. There are some dirty jobs that have to be done. But we were saving lives. You're not saving lives. You're taking lives. You're killing babies. And she never questioned that she's killing babies. She said, the mothers are signing their lives away. I'm just doing what the mothers ask. I'm just providing a service. Now, we went a whole lot further down the road, but the hypocrisy of this medical professional just screamed to high heaven. But, you know, none of us should allow the presence of tens of thousands of hypocrites in the medical world from going to hospitals and doctors when we have medical need. We recognize that there are genuine, sincere, professional doctors and dentists that we can trust, and we go to them. We don't let the hypocrites keep us from medical care when we need it. So why should we stay away from church and from God? Because we know there's some hypocrites there as well. There are many counterfeit banknotes. We've got to watch out when we get to the field. They've got counterfeit everything. And American $20 bills, American $100 bills are counterfeited throughout Africa. Throughout, We've got to be checking the notes whenever we do money exchanges in any part of Africa. Of course, part of the problem that you find is that their own money is worthless. In Zimbabwe, a $100 trillion note will not buy you a loaf of bread. And that's after they've knocked 16 zeros off anyway. They've got the worst inflation in the world. So nobody in Zimbabwe wants to use their own money. They're all using American or South African money, real money, because they know their money is worthless. Do you know I've never come across a counterfeit Zimbabwe note? <laughs> Why would you counterfeit something that's worthless? So if there's a counterfeit, it should point out that there's something real. If they counterfeit Christians, it should be proof that there's real Christianity too. You don't counterfeit something that's worthless. Nobody's going to counterfeit a Zimbabwe dollar. They use it as wallpaper. You've also heard reports of infected hamburgers, contaminated with, amongst other things, the E. coli virus. I don't think that's kept anyone from eating real healthy hamburgers. The church is not perfect. 
But Jesus Christ is perfect. He's probably the only person who's perfectly lived exactly what he preached. Jesus said what he meant and he meant what he said. He did everything he promised. Nobody can ever say that Jesus Christ is not a man of his word. He perfectly lived up to God's standards of righteousness. He fulfilled the law of Moses perfectly. You can point out a lot of failings. You can point out quite a lot of frauds in the visible church. You cannot point out a single failure or fraud in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not calling people to church. We're calling people to Christ. Even hardened atheist enemies of the church have acknowledged that Jesus Christ is the most exemplary person who ever lived. People like H.G. Wells in his History of the World admitted, even though he is an atheist, that Jesus Christ is the most central person in all of history. Nobody had lived a greater life. No one has a better example. No one had affected history more than Jesus Christ. It's impossible to speak about world history without reference to Jesus Christ. Many others have recognized this, even hardened enemies of the church. Typically, hypocrisy in a church is used as an excuse for not repenting of our sins or surrendering our lives to Christ. By pointing out the sins of others, we hope to somehow justify our own sins. Isn't it so that many people try to lift themselves up by pulling other people down? In fact, I would say it's an excuse. People who bring up hypocrites in a church as a reason for not giving their lives to Christ, repenting of their sins, it's an excuse. It's a smokescreen. It needs to be pointed out that not everyone who attends church services is a true Christian. This was forcibly brought out to me by Dr. James Kennedy when I first visited Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. I'd been on his radio program for about 10 years running, but I hadn't actually met him personally. It had all been by phone until 1998. He wanted me on a TV studio. I went there, spent a couple of hours with him. And as I was being shown this magnificent Presbyterian Cathedral in Fort Lauderdale, I made some positive comments and he said, Peter, do not be deceived. All is not as good as it looks. He said, I wish I could say all the members here were Christians, but I cannot. We've got over 9,000 members. I cannot say how many of those are saved. He said, I wish I could say all my staff were saved. But we have 260 staff members, if I count the teachers in the Westminster Academy. I can't speak for all of them. I don't even know all of them. He said, I wish I could say all of my pastors and elders were saved. There's 40 of them, but I cannot even say that. The head of our music ministry was just converted recently. And I won't tell you how many other PCA churches he was music minister for before he came here. Coleridge is not the beginning of a music minister's career. It's a summit. And he gave a few different examples. And then he said, I doubt if many of these ministries around me will long survive my demise. But he said, the most important thing I do is one-on-one personal evangelism, EE3, door-to-door. Every Thursday night, James Kendi was knocking on doors, speaking to people about the Lord. If you were to die tonight, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? If God was to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And he is convinced. This man who had how many millions watching his TV programs, listening to his radio programs, how many millions of copies of the 60 to 70 books that he wrote in circulation, but he is convinced there is nothing more important 
in one-on-one personal evangelism. And he was under no illusions as to what would happen when he died that most of his ministries would not continue. And in fact, it's staggering how many have been hijacked right now. I went back to Coleridge Presbyterian Church last year, invited to speak to the, on the radio and TV program. So I wasn't invited by the church, but they're physically next to one another. Coleridge Ministries is faithful to James Kennedy. Jerry Newcomb and others are continuing to produce outstanding programs, completely faithful to his reformed and evangelistic message. EE3 is faithful. But we can't say that about the college nor about the church. The church has been hijacked. So much so that 800 members of Coleridge Presbyterian Church have moved out and have started a fellowship down the road, including the widow of James Kennedy and his daughter, all of the EE people, all of the Coleridge Ministries people, the entire music ministry, the choir, the organist, the whole lot. When I went to look in James Kennedy's church, it was just a few years after he died, just last year. Behind James Kennedy's pulpit, drums. In front of the greatest organ in North America, a keyboard. They don't have an organist left. Every track stand, and James Kennedy loved literature, just like I do. It's wonderful to walk in a church and see much literature stands around because the printing press is the weapon that God used to launch the Reformation, and it's one that God will continue to use to launch a new Reformation. We believe in a printed page, a 26 lead soldiers of the alphabet. James Kennedy believed in literature. The track stands are empty. Not a sermon of James Kennedy to be found. The bookstore, the rift, not one of James Kennedy's books left in Coleridge Presbyterian Church bookshop. That used to be one of my favorite bookshops to go to. Empty. Stripped. I saw in the dustbin, I've got pictures of all this, as I thought nobody will believe me. The Ten Commands, a beautiful wall relief of the Ten Commands in the dustbin, in the trash. When you walked in to Coleridge to the administrative block, the first thing you'd see next to the reception desk was the cultural mandate and the Great Commission on the wall. Beautifully done relief. Gone. Blank wall. There was a whole lot of glass cabinets along the side of the wall next to the reception with the 70 different titles, books that James Kennedy had had published on display. Gone. Empty. Not there. Repainted. No cabinets at all. They had a huge wall map floor to ceiling of the world with Great Commission on top from Matthew 16 verse 15 and then pictures of different missionaries around the wall gone, painted over nothing there about the only place you could see James Kennedy's name in the whole church was on the cornerstone outside where they laid the dedication block with the scripture unbelievable to think within just a couple of years such a great leader in the church's ministry could be hijacked so completely, so thoroughly, that the, the thing that led the people to leave the church was when Billy Graham's grandson, uh, Chavidian, uh, preached against door-to-door evangelism from the pulpit, which of course is the foundation of James Kennedy's ministry, one-on-one personal door-to-door evangelism, and he preached against it. It's ineffective, out of date, inappropriate. And that was it. 800 people got up and moved out. And that was the beginning of this fellowship, continuing church down the road. But that's just an example. He had no illusions that this would happen. I'm just surprised it happened so quick. 
Many people in our churches have no saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, no personal relationship with the Lord. The true church of Christ consists of born-again believers regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit on the basis of the grace of God alone because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross alone received by faith alone. It is a miracle. The communist cannot destroy the church because he cannot destroy the church by burning buildings. The church is not buildings. The church consists of people. Regenerate by the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot kill Christians by sending them to meet the Lord in heaven. Death for the Christian is not final. It's not fatal. Jesus Christ is the resurrection and life. A true Christian knows this. By definition, a Christian has to admit that he is a sinner, well worthy of an eternity in hell. By definition. So when people call Christians hypocrites, do they understand that by definition, to be a church member, you have to acknowledge that you cannot save yourself. You're dependent on the grace of God alone. You need the shed blood of Christ for salvation. That you deserve the wrath of God in hell. That Christian church requires a public acknowledgement of sin as a prerequisite for membership. Well, they're not a true church. The very ordinances of the church make this clear. Baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. Symbolizing burial and resurrection. The Lord's Supper reinforces this. The Lord's Supper is emphasizing that we are sinners needing God's grace and mercy and salvation by blood atonement. Sin is serious. The cross was excruciating. That's where the word excruciating comes from. Crucifixion. God is a holy God. Mankind is depraved and sinful. This is the foundation of baptism and the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Prayer includes a petition, forgive us our sins. Whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer, we've got to pray, Lord, forgive us our sins or our transgressions as we forgive those who transgress against us. The Apostles' Creed includes the forgiveness of sins. The regular reading of the Ten Commandments in our churches reminds us of God's standards and how we have failed. The supplications and other aspects of church liturgy remind us publicly with public, open confession of sinfulness and pleas for God's mercy. The church of Jesus Christ has never claimed to be perfect. If we claim to be a fellowship of perfect people, that would be hypocrisy. The church is a fellowship of sinners who acknowledge a complete dependence on the mercy of Almighty God to forgive and transform them. This is what grace means, God's undeserved favor. The Apostle Paul claimed, I'm the worst of sinners. Authentic Christians claim to be so bad that they deserve the wrath of God in eternal hell. John Newton's popular hymn, Amazing Grace, says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Todd Friel of Way of the Master actually has a TV and radio program called Wretched for that very reason. And I remember my first conscious thoughts as a Christian when I was converted. I'd been brought up in a secular family. We hadn't prayed before meals. We hadn't gone to church, not even for Christmas. I was part of a very secular family in Rhodesia. And when I came to South Africa and I went to a cinema on a Sunday hoping to see a film, I didn't realize South Africa didn't have any shops or cinemas open on Sundays in honor of the Lord's Day at that time. This is 1977. I walked into a trap because the local Baptist church had hired it out for an evangelistic rally that night. And I walked into an ambush. And as they preached the gospel and as the pastor laid out what God had done for me in Christ, and he said, what have you ever done for Christ? I knew nothing. 
I had not so much as thanked God for the gift of life. And my mind went back over the experiences my parents had had during the war. My mother being bombed in Berlin, my dad being bombed in London, my father fighting a North African desert, the times that their lives were at stake and the looting and the pillaging uh, when my mother's home was occupied and as they're thrown out into the snow and as a little girl all that she went through and, and that if they had not been preserved, I wouldn't even be around. And then there was all different things that I had survived that my parents told me. And I hadn't even once thanked God for the gift of life itself. Nothing. I was a wicked, selfish, ungrateful sinner, well-deserving and turned in hell. And that's the first conscious thought I had as I walked forward and surrendered my life to Christ at the end of that service. So when people say there's hypocrites in the church, maybe it's a good thing that there's hypocrites in the church. They might hear the gospel, recognize their sinfulness, repent, and be saved. We don't criticize hospitals for being full of sick people. Hospitals are built for sick people, and church is actually built for sinners, to bring sinners to Christ. Nowhere will you find more consistent condemnation of hypocrisy than in the Bible. No one condemned hypocrisy more effectively than Jesus Christ. No one lived a more sincere and righteous life than Jesus Christ. It is therefore illogical to use the existence of hypocrites in a church as an excuse to reject Jesus Christ. Reject the hypocrites by all means. Throw out whatever contract you might have had with God TV or TBN, by all means. They are hypocrites. But if you allow a hypocrite to come between you and Jesus Christ, then the hypocrite's closer to Christ than you are. If you boycott church because you hate hypocrisy, you could end up in hell spending all eternity with all the hypocrites. There's a lot of hypocrisy in this world. Islam claims to be a peaceful and tolerant religion, while its members declared jihad, issued death threats, fatwas, murder, mutilate vast amounts of people in the name of their so-called peaceful and tolerant religion. They're among some of the biggest hypocrites in the history of the world. Churches in Egypt are being bombed, burned, attacked by arson, by stone-throwing mobs. Recently, a St. Mary's Coptic church was being burned by Muslims. What had happened was a Christian girl had been kidnapped, forcibly converted to Islam against her will, and forcibly married to a Muslim. She escaped and sought sanctuary in this church. The Muslims came in and burned the whole church down. And when the fire brigade came to try and put the fire out, the Muslim neighbors stoned the firemen, threw rocks at the firemen because they were trying to put out the fire of the Christian church. On New Year's Eve, when Two Saints Church in Alexandria was bombed with a car bomb. 22 Christians killed immediately. Many others died from injuries received later. Muslims poured out from the mosque across the way and came running past the church with their fists in the air screaming, Allah Akbar! Allah Akbar! Rejoicing, happy, joyful to see the bleeding broken bodies of their neighbors. What kind of people could take joy at seeing human beings blown apart by a car bomb? at a church service, as they were leaving a church service, time to cause maximum destruction. This is going on in Egypt constantly. It's been going on for centuries. They've endured 14 centuries persecution, but since January of this year, 
the persecution of Christians in Egypt has escalated exponentially. Churches are being destroyed and bombed in Nigeria. We hear all kinds of prayer, prayer requests from Nigeria, and we hear praise items too. Just a couple of examples. This year, you might wonder why you're sometimes waking up in the middle of the night and you might have a burden to pray for this and that, and you might not even know what happened. Nigeria, just in April, had several major answers to prayer. There were three Muslim jihadists heading to a Christian church mostly made up of ex-Muslims. There were Hausa people and the Hausa tribe were mostly Muslim. And these jihadists had bombs strapped on them and they were going to blow themselves up in this church of mostly Hausa Christians. And they detonated themselves accidentally on the way to the church. All three. Nobody else killed, although the churches were rocked, some windows were broken. People came out and they saw these suicide bombers had accidentally pre-detonated. There was another bomb that was meant to go off, a car bomb in a church, and it failed to go off. And that would have taken out two churches that were right next to one another. And this isn't just Nigeria. There was another case where the Muslim car bombers were coming. They had a big car bomb. They were heading towards a major Christian church in Joss, and the bomb detonated at the intersection, rocking the two churches on each side of the um, roundabout, the uh, intersection, and people being showered with glass, but nobody seriously injured, and they went out. Do you know, many a time, God answers prayers and protects us, and we don't know anything about it. But sometimes he allows things to be close enough that you, you get a hint of what he's protecting you from in the rest of the time. And yet these hypocrites claim to be the most peaceful, tolerant religion on all. We've got people in our country who've always been against censorship. We used to have censorship in our country. The last temptation of Christ was banned in South Africa, for example, and all blasphemy, swearing, nudity, and other offensive things were taken out of films from Hollywood. So there's some films that we thought we saw and we thought, gee, that was great. And then you might mention that some American, he thinks, you thought that was great? And, well, we didn't see those other things. I mean, they were cut out by our censors, you see. Um, and the film was the better for it, obviously, because you don't need a lot of this extraneous garbage. But the people who opposed censorship, of course, rejoiced when Nelson Mandela abolished all censorship and allowed every kind of pornography and so on into our country. We went through a political and a cultural revolution. Well, the very people who opposed censorship called for the book that I helped publish, The Pink Agenda on the Homosexual Agenda in South Africa, Sexual Revolution and the Ruin of the Family in South Africa. They called for this book to be banned. These are people who said censorship is immoral. There should be no censure for anything. They stood for freedom of the press, but not when it came to a Christian book exposing them. Now, our book, The Pink Agenda, said homosexuals have an agenda, and they're intolerant. And so before the book even came out, before a review copy was visible, before anyone had seen one copy, before I even had a copy, they were condemning it as the worst homophobic hate speech ever published and calling for it to be banned. In fact, we had the head of the... Gay and Lesbian Equality Project, Everett Knussen, called for the book to be banned. But he's also a member of the Publications Control Board. He banned it, and then he issued a press statement praising himself for banning it. Talk about conflict of interests and hypocrisy. So we had 100 radio and TV and newspaper interviews as a result of this, pointing out that the homosexuals had just proved our point. We said they were intolerant, and they've just proved it. Well, they did the same thing, the Muslims, on slavery, terrorism, and Islam. I published Slavery, Terrorism, and Islam in 2005, saying 
Islam is not a peaceful and tolerant religion. And to prove that they were, they issued a death threat fatwa against me. <laughs> we, every year on the anniversary of the legalization of abortion in South Africa, 1st of February 1997, Nelson Mandela legalized abortion in South Africa. Since then, over a million South African babies have been officially killed legally with taxpayers' money. Every 1st of February, we march dressed in mourning colors and black through town carrying coffins, little crosses, flowers with a huge banner trailer um, with pictures of pre-born baby and scriptures. Choose life that you and your children may live and speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves and all those sort of things. And we have a hearse leading the procession. It's a funeral procession to the gates of Poland. We lay crosses, coffins, flowers outside the gates of Poland. We have a, an hour of prayer of repentance and we pray imprecatory prayer proclamations of the John Knox order uh, calling for the government to repent of this evil. Well, one of the other things we do on the 1st of February is we publish a little obituary in the newspaper classifieds in memory of all babies killed by abortion since 1st February 1997. May God have mercy on South Africa. Basically, that's about all to it. Not much more words than that. Every single year in the 14 years we've been doing this, Two of our main daily newspapers in Cape Town refuse to carry their obituary. Other newspapers around the country have no problem. They publish it under the deaths column. But we have got newspapers who say, without fear or favor, standing for freedom of speech and all that, and freedom of the press, foundation for freedom, and all of the rest of it. But they center an obituary. You can't put a pro-life obituary. This is a paid advert in a classified column. It's small. And they're threatened by this. Not only won't they cover in the newspaper news our marches, but they, and if there were five homosexuals and a dog, that would get front page coverage. But a pro-life march of hundreds of people through town, that doesn't make the news. We have then, every year, we publish a press statement on the Argus and Cape Times censor pro-life obituaries. The word censor is a no-no word. They go ballistic. How can you accuse us of censorship? Well, you are censoring. We have radio programs. We invite them to come and debate it on our national radio program. They're terrified of, they'll never appear in the studio. They, won't ca they cannot take debate. But when we used the word censorship, they absolutely fell apart because we were accusing them of being hypocrites. How could you accuse the journalists of being hypocrites? The communists condemn oppression and they uphold themselves as liberators and champions of justice. While communist regimes have been the most oppressive in all of history, no other regimes have oppressed as many people, have imprisoned as many people, have executed as many victims as communist governments. No other governments have deliberately starved so many tens of millions of people to death as communist governments have. We're seeing it in Zimbabwe now, but he didn't start it. Lenin and Stalin starved millions in the Ukraine. It doesn't matter if two-thirds of the population of Russia die, said Lenin, as long as the remaining third are communists. Small price to pay to ensure a communist future. No other systems have erected such huge instruments of oppression, had such vast amounts of secret police employed, imprisoned whole nations behind entire iron curtains of barbed wire, machine gun towers, minefields, tripwires, killer dogs on ropes. Unbelievable what communist nations have done to oppress their people, all in the name of freedom and justice. 
And no other governments have caused as many wars, killed as many millions of people as those who claim to be committed to world peace. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. It's a hard call. Who are the greatest hypocrites in history? The Muslims or the communists? But the moment I'd say the communists just win as the greatest hypocrites in all of history. And what do we say about the United Nations? Who continually talks about democracy and human rights while the vast majority of governments represented at the UN are unelected dictators, many of whom came to power through violent revolutions, who kill or imprison their opponents and who bludgeon, torture, and electrocute journalists who criticize or expose the human rights abuses. The United Nations is the biggest collection of mass-murdering thugs and dictators in the world, and they dare to talk about justice? I've seen the United Nations at work in Katanga, in Sudan, in Rwanda. I've walked knee-deep in corpses in Rwanda in churches. I've been in a church with 1,200 corpses in it, killed in a gun-free zone where the UN disarmed the people and stood back and did nothing to protect the people that they were there to protect, who they had just disarmed. Hypocrites of the worst order. I've had United Nations peacekeeping officers say to me face-to-face in Sudan, you take off with Bibles, we'll blow you out of the sky. They've threatened my life for smuggling Bibles into Sudan. I said to them, it's our plane, we paying the fuel, we chartering the aircraft, what's it got to do with you? He said, we're enforcing the law of the government of Sudan. It's against the law of the government of Sudan to take Bibles into Sudan. I said, it's against the law of the government of Sudan to have alcohol in Sudan too, and your planes are flying in alcohol for your UN forces inside Sudan every day. He said, well, that's different. I said, I know it's different. The Bibles are going to do something good. <laughs> Hypocrites. How many people condemn racism and then support racism? You've got Jesse Jackson in your country who traveled to the worst slave trading nation on the planet, Sudan, as a guest of the worst slave trader in the, country, in the continent right now. That's General Omar al-Bashir, the dictator of Sudan. He is hosted by him. He condemns slavery that ended in America a century and a half ago. But he praises and supports and accepts money from the slave traders of today. Does this make sense? Omar al-Bashir has been indicted in The Hague for genocide and for mass murder of black people in Sudan, but Jesse Jackson likes to be associated with them while condemning racism in America. Is there something wrong here? We've got in South Africa Julius Lema of the African National Congress singing, kill the Boer, kill the farmer, and then saying, it's not hate speech. We've had 3,700 white farmers murdered in South Africa. No, that's the wrong term. We've had 3,700 white farmers tortured to death in South Africa, since Nelson Mandela became president in 1994, 3,770 farmers in the most brutal, brutal ways that defy imagination. I couldn't even dare to show the pictures to anyone, the kind of things that they do. And the, we've got a government official who dances around singing, kill the boer, kill the farmer, while farmers are being killed at a genocidal rate. But it's not hate speech, and it's not racism. Somehow. The hypocrisy of these people who condemn racism that ended years ago, what they support the most racist regime in the continent, Robert Mugabe's government, that has destroyed all the white farms in Zimbabwe. 
we in South Africa had 70,000 white commercial farmers in 1994. And those 70,000 farmers fed 100 million people in Africa. Today we've got less than 30,000 farmers left. And they're only feeding 40 million, which is less than our population. We're importing food for the first time in history. I don't think many people have made the connection between farmers and where the food comes from in the shops. And we wonder why people are starving in Zimbabwe. Humanists claim to stand for tolerance, but they are thoroughly intolerant of evangelical Christians. Have you noticed? Humanists champion diversity and pluralism, while they work steadfastly to exclude Christianity from the public sphere. Teachers who believe in the sanctity of marriage are expected to go against their conscience and teach their students situation ethics and perverse alternative lifestyles. Evolutionists who claim to be for freedom of speech regularly ban any discussion, dissension, and fire those scientists who question Darwinian evolutionism or who seem to consider intelligent design. If you doubt this, see the film of Ben Stein expelled. That documents it very well. Humanism is the most destructive religion of all time, and it's the most intolerant. We can only call these evolutionists hypocrites. Even amongst the original 12 disciples of Christ, there was Judas, the ultimate hypocrite, the ultimate traitor. Yet that hasn't stopped millions of Christians throughout the ages from finding grace and peace and truth at the foot of the cross. If you've been let down or betrayed by some professing Christian, you should not let that come between you and the grace of Almighty God. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way, the only truth, the only life. No one comes to Father except through Him. Many people reject and despise what they think is Christianity, but in fact is not Christianity. It's the counterfeit. They're actually rejecting the hypocritical counterfeit, not the real thing. They're rejecting what Jesus Christ Himself condemns. We should not allow the counterfeit and the fake keep us from the real and the genuine. Be a man or a woman of your word. Say what you mean. Mean what you say. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Be sincere and dedicated Christians of integrity. That the most powerful witnessing tool, the most eloquent sermon illustration possible is the lives of integrity of a Christian family member, neighbor, or co-worker. There's nothing that can be said or done by any minister that can be more eloquent to win people to Christ than your life of integrity and sincerity of genuine Christianity lived as light of the world and salt of the earth in your community. That will be more eloquent than any argument that any apologist can come out with. If every church member was like you, what kind of church would this be? If I followed in your footsteps, would I find Jesus? You only have one life. It'll soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus Christ will last. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to thank and we want to praise you for your love and mercy, for your grace in reaching down and saving us, hell-deserving sinners. We praise you, Lord God, for your mercy and grace, for the perfect example that you are. Help us, Lord God, to be more faithful to you, Help us, Lord God, to be more effective in our witness. We pray, Lord God, that you'd grant us the privilege of leading lost sinners to you. Even this week, we pray it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.